worship. Stand and worship with us. Sunday morning. 
I have a couple of things to remind you about, and then we're going to move on with some more music. So Trunk or Treat is tonight, 5 o'clock. Come on out. If you haven't signed up to volunteer, I'm sure they could use some more volunteers and more candy just to be a part of it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So it's 5 to 8. And then directly after service today, we have a meeting for the mission trip for next July. For those of you who are interested in getting more information or participating, that will be in the great room. Yes? Okay, cool. In the great room. So join us if you are interested. We'd love to see you.
light that burns in the darkness There is a hope that washes the fear away There is a peace that settles around us It is your love that sets our hearts ablaze Father, we're on our knees With every heartbeat We bring you this offering Lord, come and fill this place Father, we're crying out Spirit, we need you now Glorious love surrounds us Lord, come and fill this place Mercy strong enough to save. We feel it rising up from the ashes. There is a love that overcame the grave.
and I will worship you. I will worship you. I will worship you always. And I will worship you. I will worship you. I will worship you always. And I will worship you, I will worship you, I will worship you always. And I will worship you, I will worship you, I will worship you always. Good morning. He is worthy to be worshipped. Amen? You know, the reason we gather here together Sunday after Sunday is to praise and worship him. And we do that because he is worthy. And communion um, is a reminder for all of us of what he did for us on the cross. See, Jesus did for me what I could not and, and I'm not able to do on my own. He saved me. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus Christ chose to give up his life for you and I. His body, his blood, his sacrifice, and for us, our hope, our redemption, our salvation. We read from the book of Luke, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, you'll see around the auditorium, we have uh, the wafers of bread, and we have the vials of juice, and they are symbolic of what Christ did, of his broken body on the cross, of his shed blood on the cross, that he who was sinless chose to do for you and I. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we exalt your name, Father, and you are worthy of worship, Father, for all days. You are so good to us. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ, not only his death, Lord, but his resurrection, that he is alive today. And we thank you for that. My prayer, Father, is that this act of communion is pleasing to you and that your name would be glorified through it for you and you alone are worthy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And the communion tables are open.
Good morning. Uh, we as an elder board wanted to give you some information um, about the next steps for Firewheel. And that next step is the formation of a pastoral selection committee. Um, while we're an elder-led church, we felt that it was important uh, that we have input and consideration from representatives from the congregation. Uh, couples from each of the 930 classes will be represented, plus a staff member and an elder. This group will go through the review process for any of our candidates. Uh, these couples are Ron and Madeline Jordan, Greg and Melissa Payne, uh, Mark and Becky Stahl, they couldn't be here this morning. Uh, staff member will be Barbara Brown. And incidentally, uh, as a side note, Ron is a part of the staff as well for visitation. So. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, as an elder, Ashby Spurl uh, will be representing the board. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks to these wonderful volunteers. Really appreciate your time in advance. Uh, while we've been formally planning for this search for several weeks, we will kick it off with our search committee uh, in a formal capacity early this coming week. And together, we'll agree on all of the activities involved in the search. Uh, we've conducted searches before, but it's important for us to determine as a group what this search will entail. Uh, our committee will identify what are we looking for in a lead pastor at Firewheel? What are the God-given strengths and abilities that make someone the right fit for Firewheel? What is the educational and professional experience requirements that we have? And what are some of the behaviors and the intangibles that make someone, again, the right fit for us? As we do this work, we're gonna stay anchored in our core values, sound biblical teaching, intentional discipleship, and loving community. Our committee will also help determine the right questions to ask. What are the questions that we wanna ask both in a written application and then live verbal interviews. And our committee will get to a, a chance to ask those questions of our candidates. You know, as much as we're interviewing candidates, they're gonna be interviewing us too. And our committee gives us a chance for candidates to learn about us, who we are, and what Firewheel has to offer. We won't rush, we'll be professional in our search. We'll conduct background checks, we'll talk to references, and we'll carefully evaluate all of the information that we gather. But we know that we must also ask the Lord to lead us in every step. We will be committed in prayer, praying that the Lord will give us wisdom and discernment, that we will submit to his will and not ours in the search, and that he will bring to us the shepherd that he desires. We also ask that you be committed in prayer through this process for the committee and for the search. And while we are committed to do our job well, your prayers will be even more important for the search. Thanks again to the committee and thanks to all of you. Thank you, Ashby. Uh, it's important to note that Ashby has spent his entire career in HR, and so I feel like he's well-placed to uh, lead as an elder. So, uh, Also, um, 
something else that is uh, exciting is that we have a first candidate who has graciously uh, told us that he'd like to be considered, and uh, he's actually going to be speaking in a few minutes. <laughs> so. That's the information we have for you today, and uh, we will be giving you updates on a regular basis, so stay tuned. Thank you. All right, well, thank you all. I wonder who that candidate could be. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, how's everybody doing? How y'all doing this, this morning, Firewheel? Well, it is good to be with you, family, as it is every single Sunday. If I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. And we are really glad that you decided to worship with us this morning. Those of you who are joining us online, uh, we are grateful for you as well. So we are going to jump in. We have a lot of ground to cover today. We are actually going to hit three out of the four Gospels today. So keep your fingers nimble or your electronic devices uh, very quick at hand. Um, but we're continuing our sermon series we started last week calling Riding the Waves. Uh, how many of y'all enjoyed last week as we looked at the wave of fear and talked a little bit about that, walking through that? So uh, just a reminder of what this sermon series is all about. So this sermon series has to deal with the fact that God created you and I as emotional beings. Expressing emotion is not a bad thing. And so even though God has given us the capacity to express these various different emotions, a lot of times emotions can either... Uh, we can either make our way through them and we can process through them and we can express them in a healthy way, or if we're not careful, they can take us under a current like as if we're riding a wave and we, cr we crash against the waves. And so uh, last week we looked at the uh, emotion of fear and we looked at that through Mark chapter 5 through the story of two individuals. We looked at the story of a religious leader by the name of Jairus whose daughter, 12 years old, was dying, who came to meet Jesus at the shoreline, absolutely absolutely, completely, utterly just at Jesus' feet, throwing himself at Jesus' feet because his daughter was dying. And then we saw a woman who had an issue of blood, interestingly enough, for 12 years, who interrupts the scene as Jesus was going to Jairus' home, and she interrupts the scene and she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And by faith, she is healed immediately of this terrible thing that has inflicted her for that time. So our one true statement, just as a way of review, was that faith in Christ overcomes our deepest fears. So faith in Christ overcomes our deepest fears. And I told you, interestingly enough, last week that the genesis, so to speak, of this sermon series came on a family trip in Wildwood, New Jersey. And it just so happens that my in-laws are here today. When we were on that trip, my mother-in-law could tell you the story. We were literally in the water. I'm looking at her and I'm like, I need to go. And so I got out the water and took a pad and pencil and literally it was like God was depositing something in my brain. I just started writing. I started writing outlines and I started writing different stuff related to kind of the things that I'm presenting to you today. So hopefully you'll be able to join us for the Ecuador meeting. Uh, those of you who are interested in participating, and um, I'm really grateful to have Roger and Kathy Wilhelm here with us today. So, so let's, yeah, let's give them a hand. All right, guys, I want to start off our morning by showing you a video. It's a little three-minute short video, but I think it really does a good job of encapsulating what we're going to cover today, and I think it's a powerful video. So go ahead, guys, let's roll that clip. 
afraid, I guess, of failing, maybe. I regret all the time I wasted, not saying yes to things. It's something I've always wanted to do since I was little. Time slipping away, I mean, that's probably the worst feeling in the world, right? loads of friends from different walks of life and it's really hard to keep in touch with everyone. Up until recently, I was homeless. If I hadn't hurt the people that I had, maybe I wouldn't have been. I wanted to do so many things, but I can never seem to find the time. I did all the things that were like plan B. I just never did it. <laughs> Feels, feels like where I want to be. Feels like where I want to go. That it's not my regret anymore. It's hopeful. It means there's possibility. Powerful video, isn't it? And interestingly enough, if you had, if I had not edited the edited the end, you would have saw that it was an advertisement for a college. <laughs> and I was like, this video's got so much preaching in it, and I have no idea how it's necessarily an advertisement for a college, but awesome. But here's the thing: at the end of the day, we all want a clean slate. How many of us want a clean slate, right? There are all decisions we haven't made, there are all things we haven't said, there are all things we haven't done. There are things that we have done that we wish we didn't do. There are words we said that we wish we didn't say. There are actions that we have taken that we wish we did not take. At the end of the day, regret is a human emotion that we all feel. We want a conscience that is free from the resulting guilt that is associated with regret. Regret is a powerful emotion, and it usually comes not only by itself. It comes coupled with its very close cousins, shame and guilt. Shame and guilt come along for the ride when we talk about regret. So what is regret? Regret is generally understood as this. It's generally understood as a feeling of deep sorrow or disappointment that arises from something that has happened to you, something you did not do, 
or something you did in the past. Let me say that again. It's generally understood as a feeling of deep sorrow or disappointment that arises from something that has happened to you, so external to you, something that you did not do or something that you did in the past. Now here's something that's very interesting about regret. Regret has the opportunity to do one of two things. Regret can either lead to true repentance, and we're going to use the term regret synonymous with this idea of godly sorrow, and we're going to see how those things connect. Or it has the opportunity to lead to destructive bitterness. Let me say that again. Regret has the opportunity to lead to true repentance, or it has the opportunity to lead to significant and destructive bitterness. Today's one truth statement came from a devotional that I read a number of years ago by Pastor Pete Wilson, who unfortunately is not in pastoral ministry anymore. And so here's the one truth statement, and I just thought it's so fitting for today's message, is that the cross is the only safe place for human regret. The cross is the only safe place for human regret. It's the place where we can come naked and unashamed. It's the place where we can come totally transparent and vulnerable. It's the place that we can come completely and totally as ourselves with all of our brokenness because God sees through us already anyway. And so that's the place where we need to leave it. The cross is the only safe place for human regret. As I said this morning, we're going to jump around a few different texts, but what we're going to do is we're going to do a character study this morning. This morning we're going to do a character study. If we had a poster right now and we said, who is the poster child in the Bible for regret? I think that this name would surface if I was to poll you, and his name is Peter. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Peter through three acts, like a movie. We're going to look at Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 of Peter's life. Three different scenes in which we see this idea of regret, but then we're also going to see how his regret leads him to repentance. We're going to see how regret in Peter's life changes the course and direction of his life, and he actually responds differently in comparison to another disciple that you may know as well. So we're going to do a character study on the character of Peter this morning. So we're going to start off in uh, the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, your electronic device, wherever you want to follow along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 26. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 26. So as we read, here's what the Scripture says, starting in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, listen to the words of Jesus, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is pre-Jesus' death, about 24 hours approximately. This is the scene right after the Last Supper takes place, and Jesus is giving them these words. Verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So this is important. Jesus is not only previewing for them, like a coming attraction, so to speak, or foreshadowing what is going to come. He's telling them what is going to come just in a matter of hours. But then he's going to tell them what's going to happen, even though they're going to scatter, that he's going to gather them together and come to them post-resurrection. Okay? So, verse 29, and Peter said to him, then here goes Peter speaking up as usual, even though they all will fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Verse 31, but he said emphatically, doubling down, Peter said, 
If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. This is one thing I didn't notice. Highlight that. It wasn't that just Peter said this. Whether Peter was the representative or whether he was the one that everybody else followed suit, all the disciples said the same. Okay? So they all said with Peter along with him, they said the same. If we must die with you, we could add we then. We will not deny you. So as I mentioned, Jesus just had the Last Supper, and he's telling his disciples the Last Supper symbolizes what Jesus was about to do on the cross, and now he's actually telling them what is going to occur after, you know, he's actually going to be crucified and what is going to happen. Jesus tells them that they will all fall away, but he will reunite with them after he has been raised. And here comes Peter, as usually the spokesperson with the big mouth. I like to always say Peter has insert foot and mouth syndrome. He likes to talk before he thinks. So here comes Peter, and Peter comes along. He's saying, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. Don't worry about it. You know, because I genuinely believe in that moment, Peter could not imagine denying his Lord. For all intents and purposes, Peter genuinely believed what he was saying. I, I, I can't imagine walking with Jesus for those three years, and then Jesus is saying he's going to die. Peter's got a certain boldness that has risen up in him, and a certain, you know, he's built relationship with Jesus. He's done life with him physically. So here he comes saying this, and yet you can picture in Peter and all his pride saying, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. Now that John guy, I don't know about him. You know, that Matthew guy, he was a tax collector. Remember, he was kind of a shady dude. I didn't like him in the first place. Maybe he will deny you, but I most certainly am not going to deny you. That's not going to be me, Jesus. While Peter was the representative mouthpiece, as I said, they all said the same thing. Peter's response shows us three things, real quick. Number one is he treats Jesus' words with disbelief. Jesus tells him this is what is going to happen. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to deny you. So he's treating Jesus' words with disbelief. Here's what happens. I'm calling this act one, Peter's pride. Because here's what happened when we walk in pride sometimes. When we walk in pride, we don't listen. Peter's not listening. To Peter, he's like, okay, that's not genuinely going to happen. He genuinely believes that he's not going to deny Jesus. He ain't listening to the words that Jesus is saying. Not only is Jesus quoting scripture, he says, Peter, this is going to happen. You are going to deny me three times before this night is even over. And then he makes the statement doubling down. No, I won't. I won't even if I have to die with you. He's not listening. Because when pride rises up in us sometimes, I don't know about you, but when pride rears its ugly head in my life, I don't listen. I think I know it all. I think I know better. Ain't nobody need to tell me what they need to tell me at that time because I ain't listening. But also, the second thing is Peter's response projects an attitude of superiority. He says, all of them might fall away, but I won't. Pride does that ugly thing too, does it not? When we walk in pride, we think of ourselves better than others. And Peter's like, I don't know, those other disciples might be weak, but I certainly am not. They may fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. The last thing his response shows us is it shows us really that he does not know himself. Here's what's interesting about pride, because in pride we can have an overinflated and self-confident view of ourselves. Sometimes when we're walking in pride, we think we are the best thing since sliced bread. We walk around and we may not puff up our chest and we may not, but internally we think, man, I'm pretty good. I got it together. You know, today I'm looking pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not as messed up as that person. 
So we have an overinflated sense of ourselves, and pride is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought most times. And so when we do that, we can see Peter's response. He's not aware of his own self. He's got the foot in mouth. He's inserting. He's talking before he's thinking. How many of you have ever said like Peter before, if you're honest, that I would never do that and then find yourself doing the very thing you said you would never do? We all can raise our hands to that reality, right? Whatever it is. For some, that means I would never do drugs. Because maybe you come from a family whose family has been messed up by drugs. You've seen the disastrous effects. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself with a needle in your arm and find out, how the heck did I get here? How did I get here? Maybe for you, that is, you'd say, I never would cheat on my spouse. No, you know you realize that when people walk down the aisle, they don't walk down the aisle expecting divorce. I would imagine that when people walk down the aisle, they probably have the best of intentions most of the time, okay, and actually believe that this marriage thing will work out, you know, the whole death do your part kind of thing. So when we're walking down the aisle, we don't think, oh, I would never cheat on my spouse when we know somebody else's marriage may have been destroyed because of uh, infidelity, and then all of a sudden that workplace relationship is getting a little too close. All of a sudden emotionally we're getting connected to somebody at work, and then it turns physical, and then we realize and we're filled with regret, and we're like, how the heck did we get here? How did I get here? For some of you, maybe it's a little bit more simple. Maybe it's that you had a dream job opportunity, and just like the people on the board, you did not take that opportunity. And you regretted every single day what it would have looked like had you taken that dream job, that opportunity, if you had just taken the risk, but instead you stood in your comfort zone. And because you stood in your comfort zone, you live under this shadow of regret all the time of what may have been. Listen, I was one of those people. Drugs has literally destroyed my family, especially my father's side of the family. It has destroyed my father's side of the family. And yet I was one who said I would never do that and was tracking down that path had God not graciously intervened in my life at a very strategic time in my life. Pride has this way of making us feel superhuman, but yet it can easily lead to destruction and regret if it's not checked. This is act one of Peter's life. It's like the build of a movie. Underlying what's beneath Peter's heart is this pride that he doesn't recognize. It's setting the stage for the conflict that's about to happen. So act one of Peter's life is this pride that we see that rises up. Turning your Bibles to Luke 22. You probably know the scene that I'm going to go to next. What is Peter's biggest regret? I'm calling act two Peter's regret. What is Peter's biggest regret in his life? I think his biggest regret is when he denied Jesus. When he actually fulfilled the words that Jesus told him in advance would happen, and he yet still found himself fulfilling them. So we're going to read Luke's account of that in Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 54. We're going to look at act two, Peter's regret. Verse 54 says this. Then they seized him and led him away, talking about Jesus, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. Verse 57. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. What you talking about, Cletus? I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. That Jesus guy, I've been hanging out in the back. I just want to see what's going on. I don't know who that is. I don't know him. 
And maybe a little later, somebody else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of an hour still, yet another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Look at verse 60. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine just putting yourself at that scene? How frozen he must have been at that time? And then we see his response. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. While he's being taken away, the Lord turns and looks at him. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Probably the understatement, one of the biggest understatements possible. We know this scene. Jesus is in the, is in the garden and then he's being betrayed by Judas. And here comes the whole entourage to be able to capture him. And we get this whole scene of things that are happening to this mock trial and various different things that are happening. And here's Peter following in the back in the footsteps, getting confronted over and over again, and yet denying the reality that he actually knows Jesus. This is the moment that if Peter was genuinely going to walk out in faith in a way that would not be according to what Jesus said, which we all know that, of course, what Jesus says is going to happen. But Peter could have rose up in faith in this moment and said, yes, I do know him. Yes, I do know him. He's my Lord. I don't care what you're doing with him. Do it to me. I said that I was going to follow him to death. Take me as well. And yet he didn't. His mouth stood shut. His mouth stood shut. Jesus looks at Peter, and he can't help but remember the words, and immediately he regrets his actions. Now, here's the thing is I would love to see this scene one day and talk to Peter about this scene. Because I can imagine that the Lord, remember the text we just read in, Matthew, in Mark. Mark's text told them that they were all going to fall away, but Jesus says, I'm going to come to you after I raise, and I'm going to come to you in Galilee. So Jesus was already previewing for them that he was essentially going to restore them and that he was going to meet with them again. So I don't believe that Jesus was looking at Peter in a condemnatory way. I believe he was looking at him with an eyes just to look at him in an affectionate way. And telling him, I knew this was coming, but don't worry. Don't worry, this isn't the end. Don't worry, this isn't where you and I are going to disconnect. Don't worry, your story doesn't end here. Your story has another chapter to be written, and you don't even know yet what's coming. Peter is broken, stripped of that self-confidence and pride about the one he said he could follow Jesus to death, and he couldn't even follow him to a mock trial. He is stripped down. But here's the thing. Regret has the power to humiliate us or also to humble us. Let me say that again. Regret has the power to humiliate us or to humble us. And I believe at that moment, it was necessary for Peter to experience what he had to experience to be humbled in order that Jesus would restore him. And to be humbled in order to set him off into ministry. We look at Peter and we're like, oh man, Acts chapter 2, that's the man. He preached that sermon. All these people come, you know, and he's the head of the church. And like he's the kind of the mouthpiece for the church in the book of Acts. But this is a guy who denied his, his savior, who ran with his tail between his legs. But we would have done the same thing. And in the midst of all of that reality, here he is broken and humbled. And being broken and humbled allows him then to, I believe, be used for what God has in store for him. But here's what's interesting is Peter's story parallels another disciple. It parallels another disciple who responds in a different way to the same type of regret 
You know what that disciple's name is? His name is Judas. Judas regretted his actions that he did to Jesus, but he responded in a much different way than Peter did. In Matthew chapter 27, looking at verse 5, listen to this. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elder. He's, he throws it back at them, trying to basically wipe his hands because he feels some level of sorrow and remorse, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that to yourself. Get your guilty conscience off me. It doesn't matter. We already paid you. You already did. We already used you and knew what you had to do. It doesn't matter to me. And what did he do? And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and he hanged himself. Regret can lead to repentance, and that's what we're going to see in the life of Peter. Or it can lead to a despair that is hopeless, that is dark. It can lead to a very dark place, and that's what it did for Judas. Both of these men had betrayed Jesus in a very different way. And yet they both had the opportunity to respond in what we get the picture of is that I believe Judas was there in Mark when he hears the words of Jesus. And yet he responds differently to the regret that he feels in his heart for his actions. Here's a principle I think that we could take from this. is that the past cannot be changed, but the future is still being written. The past cannot be changed, but the future is still being written. Listen, Judas couldn't take back his actions. Peter couldn't take back his actions. But the future was still being written. Peter chose to make a response and to respond differently than Judas did. And in doing so, the chapter was still being written. His story was still being written. Ladies and gentlemen, do not allow regret to rob you of your future. The past is where it belongs now at this point. It doesn't mean we don't suffer the consequences at times for our decisions. However, it doesn't mean that we have to live in them. It doesn't mean that the past has to rob you of what God would have in store for you in the future because I believe God is a God who redeems. I believe God is a God who saves. I believe God is a God who heals. God is a God who breaks chains of addiction. God is the one who can intervene into lives and take us from a place of darkness, regret, shame, and guilt and bring Bring us into the kingdom of his dear son, into beautiful, marvelous light where we can walk in freedom and grace. I believe he can do that. And that's what he wants to do. Do not let regret rob you of your future. As long as you are still living and breathing, your story is still being written. The chapter had, the book hasn't closed. It's still being written. So maybe you're here today and you're a parent who has regrets that work came before your children. And you wish you had a better relationship with them today. Don't dwell on the past. Today is the new day. Start building that relationship today. Start building that today. Maybe you regret an argument you had with your spouse and you said something you wish you had not that you could not take back. Do not allow pride to prevent you from walking in humility, to ask for forgiveness, to make it right. Let today be the day of restoration. Maybe you regret not being a better friend to someone who you were once very close to. Don't just dwell upon it. Do something about it. Pick up a phone. Make a call. Go to lunch. Do what you have to do to bring restoration in that relationship. 
Jen and I have had the opportunity over many years to do a lot of different marriage counseling, and we've, and we've actually done marriage counseling with couples who have suffered through infidelity. And interestingly enough, a number of times when we have done that, it's been the woman who has been the one who's been unfaithful in the relationship. And when those relationships come to you, and they're finally at a point where they're at least willing to acknowledge what happens, you see the utter brokenness and just shock of the spouse who's been violated against in that way. And it's just, for some, some couples, we had one who the person did not regret their actions. And we had another one where it seemed that there was regret and there was, it took a lot of trust, a lot of building that had to take place to restore that relationship. But it started with a godly sorrow, with a regret, with a, with a, with a coming in humility and recognizing and acknowledgement of that sin. Don't be that person who at the end of their life is bitter because they're filled with all of these regrets. This is the climax of the story. So Peter, we see underneath the surface, he's dealing with this pride. This pride leads him to a place where he has the biggest regret of his life, where he denies his very Lord. It's kind of the climax of the story. But what's going to be the resolution? How is he going to respond to this situation? Well, that's act three of the story. Thankfully, his story was still being written. So let's look at Peter's repentance. John chapter 21, very famous story, post-resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus is coming to them as they are fishing again, and then they finally realize that it's Jesus, and then he sits down and has a conversation with them around the fire as he's cooking fish with them, and he has a beautiful conversation, I believe it's words of restoration to Peter. John chapter 21, starting at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, just to set some context. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, what did he do? He immediately went into action. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Kind of reminds me of like when Peter was the one willing to take the step out of faith to step out on the water. So here is Peter again, willing to take that step of faith, and he's going, he's like, okay, it's Jesus, it's the resurrected Lord. I knew that he died upon a cross a few days ago, and now here he is, and it's him, so I'm coming to him. And he comes, and he doesn't, he's not thinking at that moment, all he's thinking about is that he is seeing his Savior again, and he wants to get to him. So he jumps in the water. Peter comes to Jesus. He puts his regret at his feet. So Jesus, as he's sitting around making breakfast for them, this interesting conversation happens. Jump down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now think about this before we, you probably know this story, but before we go on in the story, Jesus did not say after he said you love me, why did you dirty, rotten scoundrel deny me when I told you you were going to deny me? And so you say you love me, but you put, give me a whole bunch of lip service. No, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He gives him a mission. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my lambs. Do the work. Do the work to which I called you. Remember, I called you as a disciple. Remember, I called you from Simon to call you Peter. Remember, you were the one who confessed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, I have something for you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. But then he goes on. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. 
Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why do you keep asking me this question? You know it all, and you know that I love you. I always wondered, why does he ask Peter three times? Why does he ask him three times in this passage? Peter affirms his love for him the first time. Jesus obviously knows that Peter loves him, so why does he ask him three times? And I believe he asks him three times not only because it parallels the fact that he denied him three times, but I believe it's very specific. I think Jesus is alluding to the fact he never addresses Peter's behavior directly, but he affirms Peter's love for him, and he affirms his love to Peter by giving him a mission and directive. Just like you denied me once, you say you love me, feed my sheep. And he goes, and it's like this parallel that goes back and forward. And it's not, and it's basically a redirection. It's basically saying, I know that we were going to be in this position. I know that you were going to fail. I know that you were going to deny me. Yet I'm not going to deny you because I got a plan for you. I'm not going to deny you because I love you and I know that you love me. So I'm going to restore you. I got something for you. Jesus is never concerned with just our behavior. Jesus is not in behavior modification business. That's the least of his concerns. Jesus isn't just worried about the things that you do. Jesus is worried about our heart. He's always addressing the heart. Regret goes beyond our behavior. Regret is a heart issue. Is it something that seeks beneath the surface? Is it something deeper? This whole scene is meant to show us that Peter is completely restored to his position of leadership. Now he's been affirmed three times, and he's affirmed his love for Jesus three times. Three times he's been commissioned to care for the flock. This must have had a tremendous impact on him and others as a demonstration of what the mistakes of the past, how Jesus can restore, and he's restoring Peter to a place of trust. Here's a man who denied him, and yet he's saying, I trust you. Do the work. Tend to my sheep. Feed my lambs. Isn't that the goal? The goal is for us to be in the place of restoration. The goal of repentance, and that's a churchy word, we're going to define it in a moment. The goal of repentance is not behavior modification. The goal of repentance is a change in dis disposition of the heart and mind that leads to a change in action. And so Peter is being redirected in this way. And Peter's actions are forever changed. That man isn't going to happen in Acts chapter 2 had not Mark happened. Had he had not denied Jesus and then this beautiful scene of restoration in John 21 happened, you ain't getting Acts chapter 2, Peter. Not unless if those things actually transpire. It's all part of the story. The word repentance is a churchy word that basically means this. The changing of one's mind from sin to active obedience in Christ. And I believe this is Peter's moment of repentance. Jesus accepts him, relaunches him into a position of leadership and his, his position in the church, and he becomes a pioneer and leader in the early church. When we come to Jesus like Peter did, we can lay down our human regret at the cross and receive the healing and restoration that comes through humble repentance if we humble ourselves before Jesus. There is a regret that leads to repentance. You need to highlight these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and then we're going to summarize. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 through 10. 
Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. As he says, for though I caused you sorrow in my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you some sorrow. Sounds like a play on words. He's saying, I don't regret that it caused you sorrow, but in some ways I regret the fact that it did cause you some level of pain. Though only for a while. For now I rejoice that not that you were made sorrowful, but that, look at this, that you were made sorrowful to the point of what? Repentance. That you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, so there's a sorrow according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret. Highlight that. A repentance without regret. Leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The Corinthian church is a messed up church. If you read through Corinthians, all the different stuff that is going on. And here Paul is setting up this contrast between a godly sorrow and between a worldly sorrow. And he says this godly sorrow leads to where we recognize our regrettable actions. We recognize our sinful actions in the sight of God, which leads me to want to, ch to, to a change in my mind and a change in my heart that produces a change in my actions. But that's where salvation begins. But that also is where the Christian life lives within this realm. We still fall, we still sin, we still do things that are grievous to God. And hopefully we are listening to the Holy Spirit and we feel this godly sorrow that comes over us. We should not want to live in the realm of sin and abide under it. But that's what the enemy wants to do to you. The enemy says, okay, he's going to fill you with regret, but he's going to bring along its cousin shame and guilt to make you say, okay, you can't get over it. You keep on doing the same thing. You keep on doing this. You keep on doing that. To keep you under that cloud of darkness when God wants to restore you and set you free. Godly sorrow comes from God. We can't even come to Christ if we're not broken over our sin. And I pray, my heart is, is that I pray that sin breaks your heart every day. When you walk in it, I pray it breaks you. I pray it breaks you to lead you back to the cross. I pray that it breaks you with a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I pray that it breaks you to say that I know that this isn't the realm that I should be dwelling in, that this is taking me way farther than I want to go. Lead me back to the Father. Because my heart is prone to wander. The cross is the only safe place for human regret. So if you are you've experienced any level of regret, and today you walked into this place just filled with shame and guilt. My encouragement to you today is that the answer is the cross. Whatever it is, bring it to Jesus. Just like Peter, get out the boat, swim to Jesus, tell him you need help, bring it to him, bring it to his feet, because the cross is the only safe place for regret. Repentance is what is necessary to allow us to receive God's grace and forgiveness. So to summarize for you, our one true statement was that the cross is the only safe place for human regret. We saw this through a brief character study in the life of Peter through three acts. Number one, we saw Peter's pride that led him to say that I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to do that. That was kind of the thing beneath the surface that led to the climax of Peter's, Peter's greatest regret when he denied Jesus and fulfilled exactly those words. But... Peter had an opportunity to respond one of two ways. Just like another disciple who experienced tremendous regret led him to despair and to take his own life, Peter decided, no, you know what? I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus. 
And so he's going to get at it and he's going to do and he's going to respond in a way that it resolves itself that not only is he restored, but then he is released. He's restored and released. He's restored and released. He's restored and released. He's released for what God had for him because I believe he truly repented. I'm going to ask you to do something today with me. And hopefully this works. We practice this, but I really think that this is going to be powerful if we could do this together. I'm going to actually do you, do something, ask you to do something that we don't do in church. I'm going to ask you to pull out your cell phone. I'm going to ask you to pull out your cell phone. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. And I'm going to ask you to do this. This is completely and totally private. This is completely and totally private, but I want this to be a time where we can be honest and be able to lay these regrets before God. So I want you to visit the website, menti, M-E-N-T-I dot com. When you go on the website, it's going to pull you up to a, uh, it's going to ask you to enter in a code. So you're going to enter in the code that's on the screen, 41640973. When you hit submit, it's going to pop up a question. And we are going to do exactly what we actually saw at the very beginning in that video. I want you, if you're so bold, this is completely anonymous. It's not going to put your name on the screen. All it's going to do is pop up words on this screen when we get to it. It's just going to, we're going to see a word cloud that's going to pop up as we pop up all these different things. I want you, if you're so bold, to say, what is your biggest regret? Because we're going to collectively, as a congregation today, lay it at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start. Guys, go ahead and put up that screen. And I'm going to go ahead and start, and let's see. Oh, you guys already started. Look at that. All right. Awesome. Keep doing it. Wow. Look at this. This is incredible. Being mean to people. Not obeying Christ. Not finishing college. The word not comes up again, over and over again. Selfishness. Breaking up of a marriage. Drugs. Weight gain. Infidelity. Fear. Hurting people. Thank you guys for being so vulnerable to do that. I want you to see something in this. We are all people who desperately need Jesus. We are all people who are, we are not perfect, we are being perfected. If we're in Christ, we're being perfected. We're moving toward glory, we're moving toward that day where there will be no more sin and where we won't have to deal with it anymore. But as we deal with these regrets, I pray that you would take this and we're going to take it to the cross. We're going to believe and we're going to leave it at the feet of Jesus. Because even as we learned in Ephesians, remember Ephesians chapter 1, if we go back to our last series, he's given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. And he's given us like these seven spiritual blessings. He's given us the power over sin. As we talked about when we armor up with the armor of God, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. We do not have to fall into temptation. We can be able to walk in authority. We can walk in the grace and the power that is given to us by Christ. Thank you guys. Whatever it is that you wrote on that screen, and as you see the rest of them, I see some of you taking a picture. I pray that you would take a picture, and I would ask that you would use this as a catalyst to pray for your, pray for your church and pray for the people who are in it. I would ask that you would take this as a catalyst for yourself as well, the thing that you wrote down, and be able to, this week, just process through that, journal through that, take it to Jesus. 
but we're going to have an opportunity to take it together. I want to pray for us corporately as we take these things to Jesus. But what I want to do is, remember, we said we're making prayer a part of every single service. So we are going to open up this altar. If you need somebody to pray with you, don't walk out of this place till somebody prays with you today. Just realize that the fact that you put something on that screen doesn't mean that you are damaged goods. It means that you are a person who realizes your human frailty and you need a savior. You recognize your human frailty and you recognize that you need his grace every single day. That's what we need. We are not perfect, but we're being perfected. So I'm going to ask the prayer partners if they'll go ahead and come forward. And worship team, if you want to go ahead and get ready. I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer for us real quick. And then we're going to open up this altar and give you an opportunity. If you need prayer, please come down and allow us to pray with you. Please allow us to pray with you. But before I pray, here's the biggest regret that you could walk out of here with today. If you are here under the sound of my voice and you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, do not regret making that decision today because Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life. He died upon the cross and was buried. But then he rose again. And as he rose again from the grave, he's the first fruits of resurrection. So we have hope that we will be raised as well with him. That where he is, we may be also. And that we can become new creations in Christ. And that God, by his spirit, will take presence within us. And that he will make us new beings. It's like we're being born again, as scripture says. Please take the opportunity. One of these people would love to pray with you if that is you today. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I do pray. You see every one of these regrets that, Lord, we have been so bold to put up on that screen. Lord, I pray that we would take these regrets and we're laying them at your feet right now, Jesus. We're saying that we are utterly and completely dependent upon you. We are utterly and completely in need of you every single day. You are the one who gives us breath. You are the one who gives us life. You're the one who gives us power over sin. You are the one who gives us hope. You are the one that makes every day worth living in that way. For some of us, getting out of bed is just a hard thing. Because we live with this regret and shame and guilt that comes along. And those are lies of the enemy. But you have adopted us into your family. You call us children. And just like you looked at Peter, I believe you looked at him with a, with a loving affection. Even as he was walking out the very thing that you prophesied, yet you restored him. He responded in a way of complete and utter dependence. And Lord, that's what we're doing today. We're throwing ourselves at you. We're saying, God, we desperately need you. May you please just intervene and bring healing in the hearts of those who are broken. I pray that as we deal and process through these regrets, I pray that today would be the day of change. The past is fixed where it is, but our future is still being written and may be written by you and with you. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And those of you who want to come forward for prayer, please, during this song, anytime, come forward for prayer. Those of you who don't need prayer, this is not spectator time. This is not a time just to be watching or whatever. We want to... This is holy ground right now, I believe, in what God is doing. And I want you to engage your hearts in worship. Even if it's you right there where you're at in your own space, you need to pray. Take that time like it's just you and Jesus in this room. Okay? Well, guys, let's worship. And the altar is open. We'd love to be able to pray with you.
Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Here in the power of Christ, we'll stand. Just give it like 30 seconds. Just sit in this moment. And I know some people are still being prayed for. you to remain standing. We're going to go ahead and say our benediction and close uh, for the sake of time. Uh, if you have your offering today and you want to worship the Lord through giving, we believe that's an important part of our service. Uh, as you exit the auditorium, you can either give online or you can give via text. The information's behind me. Or you can, um, there are offering baskets and maybe we can have some of the guest services people sit there as well. Um, there's offering baskets as you go out and you can go ahead and uh, put your offering in there if you want to physically give. We thank you for your gracious giving. We know that the Lord, that's one of the ways we worship. So as you go today, let me just say this over you. May the Lord go before you to light your path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. May he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed.